The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at TNTradio.live. You're listening to Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk, TNT. And welcome to Thursday's Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. Woohoo! It's almost Friday. Hey, why do we get so excited about Friday? I don't know. We're just sort of taught to, aren't we? And perhaps because many people get a couple of days break. But there's more to life than wishing away our days, right? And let's just enjoy the here and now. Now, I don't know about you, but that Tucker Carlson interview with, with President Putin has really put the cat among the pigeons. This is where you can really see who is who. Um, in the UK, we have one, well, we had a series of broadcasters who are having meltdowns about it. But one in particular I find quite amusing is Julia Hartley Brewer. She's employed by Rupert Murdoch. And she has been busy declaring that we Brits are at war with Putin. I shall read what she wrote on X. Question, should Western journalists interview Putin? Is this any different to a British journo interviewing Hitler in 1939? Or is it important we hear all sides, even if it's a soft soap interview? And then she followed that by saying we are absolutely at war with Putin. I'm not. Are you? These warmongers do not represent the people. They represent the billionaire's interests. And by the way, if you're a journalist asking why a journalist is interviewing a character like Vladimir Putin, then perhaps you're not a journalist at all. Perhaps you're actually in public relations. Now, did anyone hear about this strange story involving Bollywood star Poonam Pandey this week? Poonam is an internet influencer and her Instagram account released a message this week which stated, this morning is a tough one for us, deeply saddened to inform you that we have lost our beloved Poonam to cervical cancer. Every living form that ever came in contact were, with her was met with pure love and kindness. In this time of grief, we would request for privacy while we remember her fondly for all that we shared. Horrible, terribly, terribly sad. Except the following day, she announced that she was alive and it was a publicity stunt, right? She revealed that uh, she released a follow-up video stating that the reason for the deception was to bring awareness to cervical cancer, which she said is close to her, her heart. And of course, terrible. I mean, this has to be literally one of the worst ways, surely, to raise awareness to cancer. Absolutely awful. Playing with people's emotions in a, a terrible, terrible way, terrible publicity stunt. And she announced in her video, I didn't die from cervical cancer. Unfortunately, I cannot say that about the hundreds of thousands of women who have lost their lives because of cervical cancer. I'm here to tell you that it is preventable and you have to get the HPV vaccine. Well, I'm here to tell you that you better be careful if you're going to follow her advice because I made a video, not a video, I made a documentary called The Business of Cancer in which I interviewed people about the HPV vaccine. And it is far from getting the all clear from many people. People have been seriously damaged by the HPV vaccine. So not only is she a liar and somebody who's prepared to use her substantial platform for the worst publicity stunt ever, she's also potentially pushing dangerous vaccines. It's a truly atrocious awareness campaign. In fact, 
it has echoes of Belle Gibson. I don't know if you're familiar with Belle Gibson. She was probably one of the, the, the first super influencers. And she also lied about having cancer. And uh, she had this sort of incredible online presence where she claimed that she had managed to cure her inoperable brain cancer through healthy eating. And she was a wellness guru. And she falsely claimed to have multiple cancers anyway. It, it all unfolded. She didn't at all. And uh, so, you you know, but the, 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 the interesting thing, of course, is on the Internet, you can be whoever you want to be. And that includes lying about having cancer. Terrible, terrible stuff. And also, don't know if you're aware of this, but last year, Elon Musk put out an extraordinary offer. He said, if you've been fired for using free speech on this platform, I will sue the company for you. Now, whether it's possible for Musk to cover all, all such people is hard to say. But his first case smacks of a personal vendetta. It's against Disney and a company whom Musk has not even bothered hiding is absolute disdain for. And this was after the CEO, Bob Iger, stopped advertising on X over alleged anti-Semitic content. The lawsuit is on behalf of actress Gina Carano, who claims she was discriminated against at work for her social media posts, including questioning COVID and whether the Trump vote had been stolen. And many people are saying, this is not her lawsuit. This is Elon's lawsuit to get back at Disney. And uh, so, so what she said was that they terminated her from The Mandalorian, which is the Star Wars offshoot um, where she played a warrior. And uh, they put out this horrendous um, notice on Twitter about it talking about how her social media posts denigrate people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Uh, Gina completely denied that, said it's not absolutely not true. They are demonizing me anyway. Elon Musk has rushed in. He's supporting her. And some people can't help but notice the hypocrisy on this. There's a whole issue about community notes going on on X at the moment. And uh, one commenter said the hypocrisy is really amazing. X takes away ad revenue for posts that community notes do not like and pays the attorney for someone who lost her paycheck because of posts on the same platform. Yes, the irony is unescapable, isn't it? And on that note, this is the point where we bring in the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Be back with her shortly. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And here we are, of course, with Gemma Cooper. It's Thursday, Gemma. Do you feel as deliriously happy about it as I do? Or am I just quirky? Well, now... I do feel deliriously happy, and that's because <laughs> of something that happened to me just before I came on air with you. Now, we know that TNT is a much-needed resource in the, in the face of the lamestream legacy media, and we know that our audience is growing. But just before I came on air with you, I had a text. Now, I've had a lot of nice messages from people in the freedom movement and the alternative media movement who I've met over the last few years since I left the BBC. But I had a text from somebody today that I went to school with, uh, that lives in my hometown, just a few miles down the road from me. Uh, and he texted me and he said, Jem, I'm loving your work on Sonia Poulton's show. Go on, you're brilliant. Keep up the amazing work. This is someone I never thought would be listening and watching TNT. But he texted me this morning and I have to give him a shout out. I have to give a massive, huge shout out to Steve Walters. Go on, Walters. If you're up on the scaffold today in the bad weather, I'm with you, mate. And thank you so much for the shout out because we just don't know who's listening. And our army, our reach is growing. The TNT army. This is someone who, you know, I've been drinking in pubs with since I was, you know, young. <laughs> um, I've gone to party 
I'd gone to parties with and, you know, very different uh, backgrounds, very different uh, political ideologies, very different approaches to life. But we're friends. He's a bit younger than me. And he is listening to TNT. He is watching TNT. So our army is growing. So I am deliriously happy. And next time I see him, Walters, I'll be buying you a pint, mate. Oh, morning to you, Steve. Indeed, our army is growing, Gemma. And uh, hardly surprising because you come with gems, really. You were clearly named very accurately. And uh, But the fact is, is that you can find news on TNT that you simply cannot find elsewhere. I mean, the perfect example, of course, is what's going on with the whole uh, Tucker Carlson, Putin thing, that the legacy media journalists are in uproar, Gemma. Whereas I don't know where you stand, but I'm like, yeah, bring it on. I wish that I'd got that interview. You know, and that's oh, the difference, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, I was just talking with Dean Mackin about this an hour ago, and I won't I won't repeat myself too much. But yeah, you know, he's gone in. I, I'm sure the questions will be vetted uh, and, and they'll be approved probably by both sides, though, on this instance. They will be, you know, trying to uh, come up with the best version of of what the truth really is. And I do think there's an element of jealousy in, in uh, people jumping up and down. And of course, why wouldn't a journalist want to interview a, a, a major player on the world stage? Why wouldn't a journalist want to do that? And and if another journalist is questioning that journalist, it just shows the mockery of what people think journalism is. But we're not here to talk about that one this morning. No. We've already talked about it with Dean. What I do find interesting is there's a few stories doing the rounds this morning saying Russia now poses the biggest threat ever to the West. Uh, and, and there right. are so many false false narratives coming out of Russia as we speak, as literally as we speak, um, right ahead of, you know, hours ahead of this interview going to air. But again, I discussed all that with Dean uh, at the last hour so people can go back and listen to that discussion. It if they want to. Um, Good the, story I, the story I want to talk about this morning has got the classic, classic, to quote, uh, to quote a big figure in the, in the alternative community, problem, reaction, solution, written all, all over it, this story. I just was like, yeah, we I could see where this was going. And it's not good news for, for people in the UK at all. So, you know, we've been talking about the dental crisis, you and I, we've covered this story for the past two days. We saw the queues going around the block of an NHS dental clinic that had opened in Bristol, funnily enough, near me. Um, and we saw the police called to that. And then yesterday, the government announced its new uh, dental recovery plan, where it was going to give dentists, you know, 20 grand to go to dental deserts where there aren't any NHS dentists, free dentists. As part of this dental recovery plan, the government has also announced plans to add fluoride to uh, many, many people's drinking water in the northeast of the UK in an attempt to clean up our dental health because there's such a crisis in NHS dental health. This crisis has been going on for decades. And suddenly I think they're using what's happened this week as an excuse to dump a load of toxic chemicals, which they are, uh, many people have come out against this, into our water. Now at present, only five water companies in the UK add fluoride to the water. And it's a very small percentage of Britain that has fluoride in the water. It's 10%, 10%. Um, plans at the moment, these plans which came in yesterday under new legislation being rushed through to improve our teeth, allegedly, uh, means that in the northeast of England, it will be 1.6 million people that will have fluoride added to their water without consent. It's something that they'll be putting in their bodies. They haven't consented to this. Um, and there is a lot of controversy around it. The government... Uh, claims that fluoridating water reduces cavities by around 17% in more affluent areas and 28% in deprived areas. It wants to get a fluoride into as many deprived areas of the UK as possible, it's citing America and Ireland as examples where 73% of the population have fluoridated drinking water. But there are huge uh, campaigns against 
fluoride saying <clears throat> it can cause bone cancer, Down syndrome, and it can impair brain development in fetuses and children, which is irreversible and carries on into adulthood. For that reason, for the dangers, many local authorities have been reluctant to add water and the government and its recent healthcare act uh, took the decision out of their hands and said, will the dangers, many local authorities have been reluctant to add water and the government and its recent healthcare act uh, took the decision out of their hands and said, we'll decide then if we're going to put fluoride in the water. Um, there's been a lot of campaigning against this. Back in 2014, the city of Southampton in the UK was forced to back down over plans to fluoridate the water after there were lots of concerns raised, especially links with the chemical industry, the fact that it's a byproduct, often sodium fluoride of, of man the manufacture of aluminium. Uh, and there have been studies done in Canada on the IQ levels of babies that significantly dropped once the water was fluoridated. And there's an ongoing court case in San Francisco to see if the US Environmental Protection Agency should actually be doing more to protect children from neurodevelopmental problems due to fluoridization. There's also been loads of studies done by the university, universities. Uh, the University of Manchester uh, a few years ago released a study saying that actually fluoridating water doesn't reduce cavities, possibly 3% and decay, tooth decay by 2%. So why the hell are we pumping our water supply Full of, of a chemical. Um, so uh, there's also the claims that fluoride was first used by the Nazi party to uh, calm down, subjugate and subdue Jewish people. Those claims have apparently been debunked and fact-checked. I'll leave you to judge your own conclusions on that one. But this is a very, very controversial issue. It is a waste chemical. It's a byproduct of the aluminium industry and also it's used as rat poison. So uh, that's where we are. All of this concern suddenly about our teeth, Sonia, they've had decades to sort this problem out. Suddenly this week, it's all about teeth. It's all about health. And they're popping a toxic chemical into the water in the northeast of England for people to put into their bodies without consenting to it. Oh, horrific. This this story makes me shiver. This actually does. I from My daughter is now 26 and I literally raised her on you are not to drink tap water. And part of the reason of that is because I'd watched a really good documentary about cryptosporidium and all of the problems about the various poisons that can get into our water supply. But this, of course, is just an additional extra, isn't it? And it's interesting, Gemma, that you say that how they, they, you know, they claim to have debunked the Nazi uh, constant concentration camps. Well, but there are also a pile of studies. Well, there are studies which say, no, that absolutely did happen, that uh, it was used to subdue people in concentration camps. But as you say, leave you to make up your own mind about that, because who's checking the fact checkers, eh? And again, there are many, many studies which actually talk about the very detrimental impact that fluoride has on the body, particularly in a developing body, Gemma. It, it affects bones, it, uh, teeth, in not necessarily in a positive way, impact young children in the development of the brain. Very worrying indeed. Very worrying indeed. And you know, as you say, what really are the advantages here? What is this really all about? Because I remember back in 2008 when Alan Johnson, who was then, I believe, the Labour's health minister, he was one of the first who was talking about adding fluoride into water. And they were already saying at that time, but it's already in sugar and milk and ice cream. So perhaps we've already had it also in our foods without even necessarily knowing it under some other code name or another. But, you know, why? The question is why? What is it all about? Gemma, are we just too suspicious about new initiatives like this? 
No, I don't think we are because, you know, the effects of fluoride on the human body uh, in large quantities are, are well known and well documented. And that's why a lot of local authorities have been so reluctant in the UK to put it into the water supply. And I just cited those studies there, the Canadian study about babies IQ and San Francisco, the, the, the ongoing case to get to to look at the, uh, the neurodevelopmental progression of children who have had fluoridated water. Now, I remember my mum, I was born in the 1970s, and I remember my mum saying to me, oh, you've got such great teeth, Jemsy, because when you were a baby in my womb, I took fluoride tablets. And I was like, why? And she said, well, to protect your teeth. And I said, mum, why? And she said, well, you, when you're a little child, you need to protect your teeth. I said, mum, when you're a little child, your teeth fall out. I don't care about my, you know, but they were encouraging pregnant mothers to take fluoride tablets, ostensibly to protect your little baby's teeth. Well, the children's teeth fall out, you know, and then the best way a lot of campaigners are saying to protect teeth is to encourage people to, to floss, to brush properly, to use, you know, use the right kind of uh, technique when brushing your mouth to maintain oral hygiene. That's the best way to prevent tooth decay, not pump your body full of these chemicals. So are we too suspicious? When you look at the studies about what fluoride is, sodium fluoride is, where it comes from, um, we're not talking about naturally occurring fluoride. We're talking about a chemically made fluoride byproduct of the aluminium industry. Why would we pump that all in our body when we know the effects it has on brain development, bones, and you know, you, and fluoridosis, all of those things? Um, and my mum, my mum, she was a lovely person, but she didn't now fall for the brainwashing. She was a fully Aww. paid up. You know, vaccinations are good. If she was still alive today, we would have fallen out. Unfortunately, I'm glad she's not here to see this. But you know. Fluoride tablets for the unborn fetus, not a good idea. And, the, and the, again, I just think this week particularly, it's problem reaction solution. We've seen so much about dental health and the crisis in free dental health. Uh, the answer seems to be once again, put a substance into your body, which you haven't consented to. Sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, sound horribly familiar. This has been Thursday's edition with Gemma Cooper. Mind expanding as ever. We will be back shortly. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people... Um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind, I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. <laughs> Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number 4MySay. 
Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Well, the news that they're adding even more fluoride to British water has got you going in the comments. We've got them all coming in. Catherine says, I donate my water as well as filtering it. Drumstick says, I use toothpaste without fluoride. It costs more but lasts longer. And Louise S said, I was prescribed a high fluoride toothpaste when I was pregnant with my daughter. I had no idea about how toxic fluoride was at the time. My daughter has learning difficulties. I swear it's because I use that toothpaste. Very sorry to hear that, Louise. Very sorry indeed. And I think that's a troubling new development that we're going to be adding more fluoride to the water but hey just don't drink it right let me turn to my next guest nina jane patel is a researcher a futurist and a president at kabuni i think i've pronounced that correctly and nina is going to take us into the brave new world of the metaverse good morning nina how are you this morning good morning sonia i'm really well how are you today Well, very good, thank you. Very interested in what you're doing. Of course, this week was Safer Internet Day. And is that primarily aimed at children or is it aimed at everybody? It's aimed at everybody, but what we know is that there's a vital need to focus on the safety of children in their digital interactions on the internet and now in the metaverse. So it is a a whole new world, isn't it? Some people describe it as an evolution of the internet, a sort of virtual world that parallels our lives in the real world. How would you describe the metaverse? Well, the metaverse is the next evolution of the internet, which you've already described. And and sometimes that's hard for people to understand. But this development has been coming for many years now, even decades, in the context of the development of emerging technology, such as spatial computing, virtual reality, augmented reality, and AI. And those components of technology are now coming together. uh, And we can now... um, tangibly understand a technology where we are engaging with the physical world at the same time as engaging with the digital world seamlessly and at the same time simultaneously where we're blurring the lines between our physical interactions and our digital interactions it's you know the thing is i think it's very hard for many people to grasp because it's some people are just adjusting to the fact that we have an internet nina and uh, but the reality is is that I, some of the things i struggle with is it's difficult enough already to keep people safe online and that's just by you know policing content what about when it comes to policing behavior in the metaverse that that's a big challenge right It absolutely is. And I agree with you 100%. It is hard for people to understand this next evolution of the technology. But we are repeating history here. Back in 1995, everybody did say, what is a www dot? And we we called it the information superhighway. And where there were a lot of questions about what that symbol was with the A with the circle around it. There's a lot of, you know, repetition about what is this? I don't understand this. And then kind of a skepticism about it and almost a rejection of the possibility of the metaverse, even if we don't call it the metaverse in the future, uh, that it will be integrated into our lives in ways that we cannot yet quite comprehend. Just as the internet, we couldn't comprehend how it would integrate into our lives, and we never imagined we would put our credit cards on the internet and purchase things. But now look at us. E-commerce is booming. You know, it is a massive industry. And what we need to prepare for now in the context of Safer Internet Day 
which was this 6th of February, just this past um, Tuesday, is how do we do this learning from the mistakes that we made with the internet and how we integrate it into yours and my life, but even more importantly, into the lives of children and young people. Because what data is showing and the evidence and, and research is that the way that we've allowed it to integrate into children's lives is not doing them a, a lot of good. You know, it's doing more, more harm than it is adding benefits. And how do we come together as a society to use the technology intelligently, purposefully, intentionally for good, to elevate our lives and not, um, you know, take away from our life experience? Yeah, and this, I think some of the things here that concern me is, so for example, a lot of what, what we're discussing here sort of falls under the jurisdiction of the online um, harms bill. And I, I believe you, you you did some work around that, right? Yes, I work with colleagues who have contributed to that, to the online safety bill here in the UK that was recently passed. Uh, I recently completed research uh, with many researchers who contributed to that. And now I'm taking the conversation further into the context of three-dimensional internets, where we're engaging with the digital environment from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. It's no longer bound to our smart devices or our laptops or our desktops. We are actually, with the click of a button on our on our headset, engaging with our digital environments and other people in that digital environment as first-person uh, experience, uh, no longer uh, seeing it on a third-person uh, witness on your desktop or on your iPhone, but stepping into the virtual environment, being a part of it and experiencing it um, from your eyes as opposed to watching it on a screen. Got you. Let's go briefly to the news headlines with Matt Boyland. We will be right back. We do have some big news. Listen up. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tucker Carlson's highly anticipated interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin will be released for the world to watch at 6pm Thursday, Eastern Time. The world's number one podcaster has taken aim at the mainstream press for ignoring the frightening rise in excess deaths. Forget global boiling, the UN chief says we're now entering the age of chaos and the US military claims to have killed a high-value target in the Middle East. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. I'm here with Nina Jane Patel, and this is a fascinating conversation about the metaverse. Literally 10 minutes ago, I started off thinking, what, what are we dealing with? And already I have an understanding, which is fantastic. You know, Nina, you said an interesting thing, and that was obviously at the start of the internet, everybody found it so difficult to imagine how we could possibly be communicating all over the world and look at us now and, you know, and like inputting our cards and various things into the internet. But you're right, of course. And I think one of the things that makes your argument particularly persuasive is, is you have have an understanding of how the metaverse works in a very sort of first person way. And that is one of your first engagements on the metaverse. You were harassed, weren't you? You were verbally harassed. You were surrounded by people in the metaverse. And that has, I think, enabled you to already be able to understand some of the immediate challenges facing people on the metaverse. 
Yes, I, I have shared my experience uh, of verbal harassment and sexual harassment in uh, a newly launched uh, metaverse. It was a social virtual environment in which people engage with what was uh, advertised as friends and family in a fun atmosphere. But that experience went horribly wrong. It was my first experience in that particular platform. I've had many experiences in others. But why I share that story of sexual harassment in that environment is to raise the alarm bells, to say and share with people that this is the type of activity and behavior that is permitted and in some cases rewarded uh, in virtual reality, in social virtual reality, in the metaverse. Uh, and we are inviting our children to engage with this technology, to meet new people, to um, engage in, in what could be very fun and exciting ways. But unfortunately, uh, again, we're we're uh, prioritizing anonymity over accountability and therefore some people take advantage of that and we see bad actors engaging in ways that we just simply would not allow in the physical world and we certainly do need to some do something today at the kind of emergence uh, at the very early stages of the metaverse to ensure that we don't cause trauma in the context of how children connect with their digital identities uh, and and feel uh, very connected to them emotionally. And so what happens online, and especially now in the metaverse for a child, feels very real. And we cannot underestimate that. I think it's those sorts of things that concern me, the idea that, as you say, it feels very real. Are we in danger of losing ourselves to a virtual world? Well, the technology since its its birth, you know, virtual reality, which has been many decades now and has been heavily invested in the context of the military and training uh, in life or death situations. So from day one, the technology was designed to be as real as possible. Otherwise, it was a waste of everyone's time and everyone's money. But the technology proves to be very effective in replacing of reality. The immersion, presence, and embodiment uh, are at the point now where it feels very authentic. And it will continue to increase in terms of how real it feels and how authentic it feels in terms of in human interaction. And what we need to do in the industry and as a society is determine how we're going to move forward with this technology. As I've said, learn from the mistakes that we made with the internet in a complete unknown and, and not repeat some of the mistakes we made in the context of children and young people and only seeing it as entertainment or it's just, you know, it's just online, it doesn't really matter. But really now we're grappling with the impact that that's had on mental health, on childhood development. Uh, we still have many questions and now we're unleashing a new technology uh, with the same kind of idea that it's just entertainment, it's just for fun. But we know that it's not just fun. A lot of negative activities happen in these spaces and we need to come to terms with how to deal that in safe, responsible ways. Yeah, I, my concern definitely is primarily to do with children. And, and that is because my daughter, for example, 26, she's grown up in a world where she's only ever known an internet. Whereas, of course, mm -hmm. I grew up in a world where there was no such thing. And mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, she's not lost to it. But I do know many people of her generation and younger who are, who are like, you know, handed an iPad at the age of three. I was much more strict about that and about monitoring internet use. She wasn't allowed on social media until she was actually of age allowed. And even that I would argue is a questionable being 13 on, on some of these places. But my worry is that with this next step, this next evolution, children are going to become more at odds with the world than ever before. How can we protect them from that? 
Well, recently I've worked with a group of researchers at the University of East London, Middlesex University, to begin to address that. So we brought together and consult, uh, consulted children and young people and asked them their opinions about the technology. What are they experiencing today at this very early stage? And we've gathered that into academic research and have published uh, just, just recently on, on Safer Internet Day, a series of five short videos targeted at children between the ages of eight to 12, to help them navigate uh, the perils of the metaverse while enjoying it. So this is the first ever to be launched and dedicated to sharing that message about how to stay safe in the metaverse, how to understand the metaverse through a child's eyes, uh, and also how do we develop and, and nurture digital citizens who respect each other uh, and take this seriously in terms of their safety and responsibility in the metaverse. So those are available uh, online for everyone to watch. And it's really the first taste for us as parents you know, I'm a mother of four children myself, for us as parents to begin to have these conversations with our children. Because absolutely, what we've seen in US Congress last week is that the platforms are not going to take responsibility for when damage happens to our children. You and I as parents need to educate ourselves, we need to build our awareness, and we need to um, take it seriously when a child says to us, something happened and I'm uncomfortable about this, and talk to them and look for ways to report it to the platform, or as most recently here in the UK, a young girl reported her experience of sexual harassment, sexual assault in the metaverse and took it to the police here in the UK. Um, because until we start talking about it, the continuation of um, negative harm, abuse, misogyny, racism, homophobia will uh, run right through the metaverse until we speak up and demand better. I mean, that that all sounds great. Obviously, we don't have a huge volume of um, long-term studies to be able to tell us the impact on the internet on us. But so we focus very much on the challenging aspects of it. But there has to be some good things. So let's look at the good things that we could achieve via the metaverse. So hypothetically speaking, Nina, could I work in the metaverse? Could I pay all my bills? Can I do my shopping in the metaverse? Well, as you said, the, the metaverse is a continuation of the internet. So yes, e-commerce will be built into the metaverse uh, and you can engage with your 2D internet while in the metaverse. So you can pay your bills through the metaverse. You can put your headset on, you can interact with your desktop uh, and then move through into engaging with other 3D avatars in the workplace. You can have meetings, you can take you know work retreats, you can go golfing together all from the comfort of your of your office or your living room. There's a lot of really wonderful opportunities that the metaverse can bring to us within the workplace, uh, also within education, where we can really develop pedagogical innovation of delivering education and content to children in very new and exciting ways. They can take trips to Mars. They can take trips back to ancient Rome. There's so many possibilities. Uh, and using the technology within uh, the workplace, within in education uh, can be really powerful and really key tools in how we develop and, and train and teach uh, uh, children and, and adults, learners from, from zero to 80, uh, in terms of the future of work and how we engage as humans in the future. There's also a lot of positive applications in the healthcare space as well, with the integration of Internet of Things and wearable devices that allow us to have consultations with our doctors without even leaving the comfort of our home room with our, our living room. The, the technology is really powerful uh, and we cannot underestimate it. And now we have no. an opportunity to, to develop it in really exciting ways.
Yeah, absolutely. Let me read you. We've got so many comments coming in about this. Mogden said, we made up so many games when we were kids, used our imaginations. And there is a fear here, of course, Nina, that children will park their God-given abilities to imagine great things and just sort of hand it over to this other force. It doesn't have to be like that, though, does it? No, it certainly does not. And and we have to remember technology is always a tool, right? Just like the sticks and the stones that we were playing with in the past were just tools for imagination. And what's really wonderful about the technology today is that children are creating their own games. They are using their imagination in ways that they use the technology. Yes, it's different than how we we engaged with, with toys in the past, but they're engaging with techno technological tools that allow them to create their own metaverses and, and engage in games that you know we could only dream of and create that in a technology platform. Uh, and, and really, you know, the rights of the child are to be able to engage with the technology, uh, but we do have to create environments that they're safe to explore, to learn, to grow, to play in, in, in free from harm. Uh, so the technology has huge capabilities if we get this right. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Been absolutely fascinating, everybody. This is Nina Jane Patel. She's helping to deal with all the challenges of a metaverse and sounds like you're doing it damn well, Nina. Take good care of yourself, everybody. Thank I'll be back shortly. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. This is The Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk, TNT.
And it's Thursday and we're loving it. Now, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court. And this is to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. And you know why? Because we are lighting the fuse for freedom on today's news talk tnt and to that end i am delighted to be joined by phil zimmerman actor comedian singer songwriter phil your current show is bill gates killed my hamster how much do i love that title i'm glad you like it sonia yes um it's got echoes of uh you know hitler found on the moon freddie star and stuff like that uh, of course, I'm sure you're aware. Um, and yes, it's a it's a it's a fun show, and um, it's uh, it's been going very well. Um, when it hasn't been uh, cancelled, of course, which it was by uh, by Brighton Fringe in in uh, in May. Oh, was it really? That that's ridiculous. On what grounds? Well, you'll have to ask them. They haven't made a uh, haven't even had the the balls to publicly state the reason. Um, I think it's uh, really to do with the fact that uh, my previous show, which uh, which that is the sequel to uh, Killing Granny, um, which I taught for two years, um, was uh, quite well known by that time. And they didn't want anyone taking the mickey out of uh, Billy Boy. You know, you're not going to get much more woke than Brighton. For anybody who's not familiar with Brighton in England, trust me. I mean, it's the first, I think, the first Green uh, Member of Parliament, right? Caroline Lucas, she's ruled the roost down there for a very, very long time. And uh, yeah, that probably tells you everything that you need to know. Right, Phil, you're here to talk to me and with me about Julian Assange. Where do we even start? Of course, there's the extradition hearing that's taking place later this month. And uh, I mean, let us not forget, just for anybody who doesn't know, Julian Assange essentially lost his freedom. You know, 12 years ago, Sweden was attempting to extradite him over allegations, which they then later dropped. And he ended up seeking refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy. And um, and that was in November 2010. Phil, have, have you been following this like from the beginning? Well, I have. Yes, I, I've, I've been following it for many years. It seems to have been going on for a very long time now and attended many of the uh, protests for, for Julian Assange, you know, met his father and, uh, and you know, feel very close to it. And really just we, we're, everyone is just hoping because this is the last, as you said, the last chance for him to get justice in this country. If, if this fails, I mean, it could still go to the European Court of Human Rights, of course. But um, it's uh, it's really an astonishing case. And, um, you know, uh, he's been treated so badly. He's been tortured. His health is poor. Uh, Stella, his wife, is very concerned about his health. He had a mini stroke in in 2021. And of course, now he's being after his ordeal in the Ecuadorian embassy, he's been um, held in the high security prison in prison in Belmarsh in London for five years. So really, it's absolutely outrageous when uh, he's guilty of no crime whatsoever, except exposing the war crimes committed by um, governments in, in Iran and Afghanistan. And his only crime is telling the truth. 
Yeah, that's quite a crime these days, though. And I just want to correct myself. It's actually 14 years that he's had his freedom taken away from him. And of course, so the US government, what happened was they unsealed this indictment charging Assange with conspiracy to commit computer intrusion, which related to Chelsea Manning. And um, they, But they keep unsealing new indictments against him, Phil. It's almost like they're pulling them out of nowhere. Right. And uh, it's fairly awful. What what do you think about the British government's response to Assange? Well, I mean, it's it's dreadful. I mean, that they should um, want to extradite him. It seems that they this whole process has really been about an attack on journalism, an attack on on Julian personally, uh, that they're basically trying to do a slow, a slow kill on him. And um, if he, I mean, the case in London in 2020 at the Old Bailey, the uh, extradition was thrown out on health grounds. And we all celebrated that fact. Um, But of course, then he was having, uh, the judge having decided that he wasn't fit enough to uh, be sent to to the States where he would be in danger of, um, uh, be a suicide risk, then, she, uh, they refused to give him bail. Bail was denied, and he was thereby put, put back into the very same conditions in Belmarsh, which had uh, destroyed his health initially. So, I mean, it's completely insane. There's no sanity in it, and there's no compassion. There's no justice. But no. what do we expect from the British government? Yeah, what do we expect always around? I, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Obama administration didn't act, but it was the Trump administration that did, because the Obama administration, they said they didn't indict him because they couldn't find the evidence that his actions differed from those of a journalist. Indeed, because he's a journalist. And the other thing, of course, Phil, that makes me absolutely furious is that more journalists haven't stood up for this man because he's doing the very thing that we are employed to do. And I just find that astonishing. What? Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, um, John Pilger, um, who um, rest uh, in peace, a great, a great uh, friend and supporter of uh, of of Julian Assange, of course, who who, who died recently. Um, he he spoke about um, about Julian at a. Um, um, Following, you know, he, he he attended a court case and he, he visited him in, in in prison, and he basically said that the, there was a conspiracy going on with the press, and um, you know um, it was very um, very moving the way that that Stella spoke at the, a recent rally uh, in London um, to f- focusing on this court case. But but John Pill just said that uh, just to quote him, he said, "I've sat in a number of courts all over the world and I've never seen anything like this." It belongs in a show trial in the 1950s, Moscow, Prague, you name it. And this is London. Do they know what's happened to justice here? And he added, the charges against him are not only concocted, but the extradition treaty between Britain and the United States has a specific section in it that says a person cannot be extradited if the offences are said to be political. At least 16 of the 17 charges against Assange in the United States are unlawful. They're political based on a 1917 act called the Espionage Act. And um, Pill just spoke about conspiracies being the norm. He said it's absolutely built into a system of media that is an extension of the state, an extension of the established order, 
Propaganda is the issue of our time, said Pilger. Yeah, and spot on. I was always a fan of Pilger. He absolutely influenced my journalism, no doubt about it. And the thing is, the process has largely been the punishment, hasn't it, with Julian Assange? Some of the things that they've put him through are quite extraordinary. What about that report that we heard about a couple of years ago about allegations of a CIA murder plot? That was extraordinary. Are you familiar with that, I take it? Well, I mean, the, the, there were multiple whistleblowers that revealed that, weren't there? And, right, and it's quite right. extraordinary. It's quite extraordinary that, of course, that, you know, and Jeremy Corbyn again attacked the police at this, uh, the press at this rally and said, well, where, where are they on this story? This is a huge global story. And how much have we heard about this? As you say, this is astonishing um, uh, fact that the CIA according to all these whistleblowers, were involved in, in a plot to kidnap and assassinate Julian Assange. And our government is not only uh, taking them to task for this, but are trying to extradite him to that country where he will um, have very little chance uh, of, of, a, of a fair trial. Holly in the comments says the whole Assange situation is totally disgusting and unacceptable. I shall be going to London to have another shout. Good for you, Holly. I think we all need to. And of course, Phil, that wasn't the only thing. There's also the issue with the so-called security company that was employed to protect him. And now we discover that far from doing that, they would they would retrieving and taking devices uh, for people who were going into the Ecuadorian embassy to see Julian and highly likely it would appear so giving that information to the CIA and that's a court case that's going on in Spain. And what's noticeable there, Phil, is there's been a, a, a huge amount of countries that have sort of been implicated in one way or another about that. And the only two countries that are refusing to comply with the Spanish courts, U US and UK. Well, what, what is this telling us, Phil? Well, I mean, the, the time we're living now, we're living in a time of complete inverted Orwellian insanity, aren't we? And I think that the, the what's going on in Gaza, where all the all the Western governments are supporting uh, genocide, um, just shows you how corrupt everything is. So it's no surprise um, what you're describing there, because you know we, we're just getting to see now the veil is being stripped away, and we're getting to see just how deep this corruption goes. And I want to briefly refer to the uh, so-called um, charges that they wanted to level against him in Sweden. And again, uh, one of the reasons why I am very, I questioned that, although initially I was like, before I was actually fully au fait with what was really happening with Julian, I remember writing an editorial probably about 10 years ago saying, yeah, you should go and answer you know, address these charges and everything. But actually, with hindsight, the benefit of hindsight, we know that people get demonized and accused of all manner of things when they are whistleblowing, particularly against state-sanctioned murder. Well, it was patently obvious with that Sweden case that it was a trumped-up thing just to get him um, um, eventually to, to America. I mean... There were, there were no charges ever brought. In fact, the, there were allegations made. And one of the women involved in that even stated that she never intended to make any kind of complaint against Julian. It was just ridiculous, you know. Um, and uh, that's just um, what what this whole thing is. Just a, It's an attack on, on the press. It's an attack on freedom. And it's trying to cover up these heinous crimes.
Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we cannot forget. I mean, you did you you, you referred to it, but we cannot forget the human impact this will have had on him, his wife, and his children. Can you give us any insight there? Well, yes. I mean, um, just what Stella was, was saying, really, at the um, at the, the meeting recently. Um, you know, um, she said that um, that his um, his children. I mean, just the amount of time that he's been away from his children um, is is really quite um, upsetting. You know, it's causing it's caused a lot of suffering for all of them, and um, it, it's just in, inhumane, completely inhumane. Um, and and th there's no recognition of that, you know. Like he, 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 that he fathered the children when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, and they've grown up without their father. Um, and yeah, she's she spoke about that in a quite moving way at uh, the meeting in London. And um, she did say at the end that um, she's determined that he will be. She believes he will be freed. But uh, it's been a very long time, as you said, 14 years that he's been um, basically uh, living under torture, conditions of torture, which the uh, the UN reporter on torture, uh, Nils Melser, confirmed. He said that uh, in his report that uh, it's the, uh, a case of the case of torture is as, is, is as worse than, than, than any country that he's where he's observed it. So that's really uh, an indictment of uh, of. Uh, so-called British justice and democracy and freedom. It, it, it is really quite shocking stuff. And of course, we never hear the good things about him, about how Julian used to assist the police um, in terms of like helping assist them to track down child exploitation. He did that regularly in Australia. We never hear those things, do we? We only hear all the sort of demonising stuff. But there is a, absolutely another side. But I do worry about his mental and physical health, no doubt about it. Do you remember that image when the police took him out of the Ecuadorian embassy? That was so alarming. Well, he, he looked like a, an old man there, didn't he? And yeah. He had a long beard and he was kind of hunched over and they were dragging him out. I mean, it was just a shocking thing to see, really. Um, it, it really was. It was just, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Phil, were you, are you going to be there at the extradition hearings at all? Absolutely, I will, yes. For sure. Wonderful. Well, hopefully you'll talk to us at TNT because we, of course, will be there reporting from the Royal Courts of Justice. Anything you want yes. to finally say to anybody about this, Phil? Well, I mean, one of the things that, that Stella Assange said at the meeting was that, that we, we really want to get a, a big turnout for the two days of the court case. And, and um, um, everyone that goes there, she said, to bring two friends along. You know, um, and uh, there is a um, on actionnetwork.org. Uh, you can go there and and register as an event, and then share the event on social media to raise awareness. And there's a new film coming out um, uh, about Julian, The Trustful. It's going to be premiered in London on February the 24th. There's a trailer on YouTube which you can see, and 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 please share it because we need to really raise as much awareness about this as possible because the media aren't doing their job so we have to do we it. We do yeah. indeed so we're going to make sure to do our jobs everybody this has been Phil Zimmerman thank you so much for joining me this morning Phil 
Greatly appreciated. Rallying the troops for uh, Julian Assange, as we need to do. And just a further call out about rallying the troops. Do you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival or fundraiser that could do with some free publicity? TNT wants to promote it for you. Simply visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT website and submit your event details. And we will get the word out, helping to make a difference on today's News Talk TNT. This has been Thursday's edition of the Sonia Poulter and show on today's news talk. I want to thank both my guests, Nina Jane Patel, Phil Zimmerman. Absolutely vital that we rally the troops for Julian Assange. If there's a, a miscarriage of justice that could not be more clear in our day and age, it has to be Julian Assange. And as Phil so rightly says, he's been charged with nothing. It's absolutely outrageous that they can have kept him for this long and charge him with absolutely nothing. And on that note, let me just double check here. Journalists should have been fighting this from the start says Chris Smith. They caved as usual because they are greedy cowards. Yes, indeed they are. Thank you for joining us for Thursday's edition and we will see you tomorrow when it's Friday. Have a terrific day. Take excellent care of yourself. Do not go away. Loads of great shows coming up on TNT, including the phenomenal Abby Roberts. Take care. See you tomorrow.